Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodaychicago.com. Us being firmly embedded in Mark right now, and he is, makes a point to really talk about the social nature of Jesus' ministry, and not just how he was ministering to people um, from a place of, of who he was from his personhood, but he was also ministering to their location in their society. And he wasn't really leading people to Jesus because Christianity wasn't invented yet. He was in the midst of inventing it himself, but he was calling people to himself. So we're going to start at Mark 5, um, 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. So this is the moment of, uh, Brian preached about the man of the Gadarenes, the demoniac, and I'm a little excited about this passage of scripture. It's probably my favorite in scripture. It's like an action movie. Jesus is just, you know, he's like kicking over buildings. I mean, you know, if there were skyscrapers, he'd be kicking them over and doing all that stuff. It's just like so much action and so much power, and you have this, the whole entirety of Jesus' ministry boiled down to these moments. So he has this encounter with the man of the Gadarenes. This is on the east side of the lake. The east side of the lake is the Gentile side. The west side of the lake is the Jewish side. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. They ministered to the demoniac, and now he's saying, let's get back in the boat and go back to the other side. So we're picking up this story as he is coming to the west side. West side? He's coming to the west side, and it's where Capernaum is. It's where kind of the center of his ministry is, the um, northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And now when Jesus had crossed, crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude was gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, and that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd And touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, then I will be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched your clothes? And he looked around to see her. Who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word, that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, but only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him 
except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house to the ruler of the synagogue and saw tumult over those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but she's sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given to her to eat. This is the word of the Lord. So the name of this message is Hunger Pops Desperation in the Mouth. When I was a kid, I always wanted to do things that had never been done before, so maybe this is the title of this passage that I'm sure nobody would ever come up with. (laughs) But I think um, as I've thought about this passage so many times, and you have the obvious story, the power of Jesus, he's doing all these amazing things. But there is something in this about the juxtaposition between hunger and desperation. What does it mean to be hungry and what does it mean to be desperate? And I think the two main characters and figures in this story really frame that for us. Hunger, which means to have a strong desire or craving for, and desperation, which is a state of despair, typically one which results in wrath or extreme behavior. This woman was at the lowest rung of society for many reasons. She was suffering. She was unclean to the Jewish population. Um, She lived in a culture where she was very aware of her shame. When you have an honor and shame culture, that means that the men, of course, are very aware of their honor. If you remember the story of Jesus and people taking different seats at the table, because men in Jewish society are supposed to be very aware of what honor they deserve or what honor they're supposed to be received, and therefore they can bestow upon others that honor that they receive. Women, in turn, are more sensitive and more understanding of the shame that they carry because of their state in society. She has spent all that she had attempting to make herself better and was not better by any stretch of the imagination. That means she was very aware of this weight this garment of shame that she wore constantly and in the midst of it attempting to press in through this crowd. And it's crazy that this story is right in the middle of a story of honor. See, it was going along as it should. You had the man of honor approach Jesus and say, Jesus, come on and heal my daughter. I am desperate. He falls down at his feet. He's like, come on, let's do it. And they're going, and all of a sudden, a conflict arises because this woman is an interrupter. She has interrupted this story that is supposed to have a logical beginning, middle, and end. And she interrupts it with her story and tells Jesus everything that has happened. And Jesus is so amazed that he stops and says, wow, Let me, tell me your whole story out of everyone in the crowd. And I begin to think through Mark and these The story of Jesus like flipping the social norms on their head and how Jesus is surrounded by all these people, but nobody is touching him. 
apparently. Nobody is hungry, apparently. They all want to be seen in proximity to Jesus so they can tell their friends later on, I'm telling you, man, I was right there with him. They are enamored with his reputation. They are not looking for an encounter at all. He has a reputation where things happen around him. And here comes this desperate man throwing all that he has, which is himself, before Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, no, no. Hunger has just entered. Hunger has just entered. This is a different measure that happens. This is why God calls us to keep our eye on people who are marginalized. Because you develop a hunger for something that cannot be sated by the world. It will not be sated by the world because, hey, you're in the number of the oppressed. Twelve years she is spending all she has, and in the midst of it is developing this hunger, which is this in the midst of suffering, a hope that God will one day show up. That one day, everything will be different. And what side of that line would we want to be on? We want to be where the honor is. We want to be aware of it. But apparently, every single person that God used and every single person that stopped Jesus in their tracks because of their hunger had to press through very significant amount of shame many times placed on them by society, other times placed on them because of their situation. Imagine her crawling through the dirt, and she's probably touching the wrong people. She's groping around in the dark, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're following Jesus and it doesn't feel like groping around in the dark, you're doing it wrong. Because it should feel like that. It should feel like you not knowing your way and trying to feel your way. It wouldn't be called faith if it didn't seem like that. If you knew exactly where you were going. And because he was a rabbi, he, he wore a prayer shawl. And that prayer shawl was called a tallit. And at the end of that prayer shawl were these zitzit, which are tassels. The euphemism for them is also wings. And Malachi 4.2, it says, but the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, in his wings. Therefore, she's crawling through the dirt like, if I just touch the corner of his, if I just grab a tassel, I know I will be made well. How long did she ruminate and meditate over this scripture? That is what hunger is. Hunger is a continual um, turning of the promises of God in your mind. It is not Eastern meditation, which is emptying ourselves of everything. It is filling ourselves with the truth and promises of God. But there's something about being marginalized that has you understand that it, it puts this hunger inside of you. If you've ever heard me growl or roar, oh, brother, you okay? If you ever do, had me do that, that is me um, articulating that, my desire to be hungry, to continually remember the promises of Jesus. Hunger is the long-suffering that produces hope in the midst of an impossible situation, impossible situation. And this woman places herself in the long line of hungry people in Scripture. 
Where did they start? They started Abraham. You go from Abraham to Joseph to Hannah, wailing because she can't have a son, and says, God, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him back to you. Stops God in his tracks, and she gives him the prophet Samuel. Continually, God, later on Jesus, they're moved by these people who cultivate this hunger that is not a desperation. Why does it take desperation for us to turn to Jesus so many times? A situation that we can't control. Please come. This family member has died. This family member is in a hospital. I mean, my back is against the wall. I've lost everything. I need you, Jesus. And the thing is, he shows up for Jairus too. He shows up for desperation. Desperation is the posture that comes from the experience of an extreme situation that produces urgency and anxiety like we've never had before. And it says, when Jairus saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. This is the cry of a desperate man, a man whose society is honored so well and he has been comforted so well, and his daughter has been comforted so well, they haven't had to cultivate hunger in their lives. But desperation has driven them to Jesus' feet because he's seen the, serious of the, the seriousness of the situation. And my question today is, are you hungry? And I know your answer. I know everyone's answer. Answer is, yes, you are hungry. What are you filling that hunger with? Because we all are hungry and we're all filling that hunger with something. And Jesus wants to be the only one on that platter. Because he is the only thing that can satisfy. The only thing. It's not bread. By bread, I mean money. It's not butter. By which I mean butter. <laughs> It's not status, it's not career, it's not Target, it's not Starbucks, it's not, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not all these things, only he can satisfy. And she stirred this up in herself, so hungry for him. Um, but the people who are milling around Jesus are just interested in popularity. They're just interested in what they perceive to be power, which is not real power. Because Jesus is with them, and he ain't said power is going out of him. Until this hungry woman says, touches him. And because of that meditation on scripture, because of that trust in the promises of God, that she receives what she's been waiting for for 12 years. And it says later on in Mark that people were seeking out Jesus so they could touch the corner of his clothing. She is like sparked something where people are like, hey, man, that's all you got to do is touch his tassel and you're healed. She's begun to transform the way people relate to Jesus. I think of all the times that or the time of even me coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus in Chicago 
in a hotel room, having to move through the shame of not knowing if I was going to be free or not. I had gotten into trouble with the police, and I was afraid. I was desperate. And that desperation drove me to the feet of Jesus. And it's not like life stops and we don't ever face situations like that. But here is Jesus like yearning and longing for us to be near him. And all these people are popping up, but when it's, when it's desperate, when it's no other cause. But our stomachs are growling and only he can fill it. But there's something about being in a place where you're used to being, I was, you know, I was trying to think of a way, how can I explain, you know, racism for people who have never experienced it? And I kind of thought of, if you've ever been to the west side of Chicago, you go to certain stores and there's plexiglass everywhere. Some stores you walk into, you cannot even touch an item. You have to walk in the plexiglass store, ask somebody to get an item for, for you, and they go and pick the item, and you pay for it, and then they put it out the thing and give it to you at the, last, at the moment. And I think about the kind of shame that, that that has going through that process. But I think racism is like that a lot of ways. It's a large part of this society that, for me personally, feels behind a piece of glass. And there's nothing that I can do to remove that glass. And if it's really clean, and if it's really perfected, people can't see it anyway. And it just seems like I'm talking about something that doesn't exist. But it's what it puts in me is a hunger and thirst for, for justice. And I know that doesn't sound like scripture, but it is scripture. In Matthew 5, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That word is righteousness and justice, but it's always translated as righteousness. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the world to be set the way that God desires for you. So keep in mind that when we are hungry, it makes space for us in places that we would never be. Hunger will drive you to the end of yourself, which is where Jesus begins. Don't let desperation take you to the end of yourself. Let it be a stirring up of hunger. And at the end, I'm going to have a couple of tips for stirring up hunger. For so that it's not desperation that happens. One of the classic, it's not up there, but classic verses in scripture or chapters, which is Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have become food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? Where is your God? When I remember these things, 
I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill Mazar. Deep calls into deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All of your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance in God. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longs for you. We have a deep longing inside of us for the king of kings and the only filler of our souls and the only the lifter of our heads. But we do have to press through shame. We do have to cultivate a life of hungry that, hunger that gets ahead of desperation. Don't let a desperate situation drive you to its feet. Let it be the hunger of wanting to see his face. It's the joy that we get of pursuing him. And this woman pops up in the middle of a desperate situation. I mean, come on, if a millionaire came in here and said, look, my daughter is dying, I need you to go pray for her right now, I know she'll be healed, and I'm walking there, and a homeless woman stopped me and said, hey, look, I really need you to stop and hear my story, and I'll be like, oh, Oh, homie got the limo waiting, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to put it in our context. Or he's got the uber black, whatever. He's got the uber black waiting. Try to put it in our context. I'm like, lady, whoa, man, this is a millionaire, man. You know what his tithe would be? No. But that's, that's, the tru that's the truth of what Jesus did. He stops to consider this woman and flips Upside down, a world that honors some and shames the other. And he honored her and made the millionaire wait. Made him wait. Because she was so hungry. Go through scripture and look at all the hungry people. And if you're wondering what a hungry person looks like and how do you know, is when Jesus said, wow, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Even the children get the bread, the crumbs from the table. The woman with the alabaster jar pouring it on Jesus' feet. 
What did, what did she actually need? She was just hungry to be in his presence. Pressing through the shame of society, all these men sitting around the table, hanging out, she presses through all that shame to pour this on Jesus' feet. The hunger will have you go through shame to get there. Like this woman crawling on the ground around people's feet to find the right tassel to touch that will completely heal her. And that power, it follows hunger, not power, but we are not convinced of that. We still think power follows power. I mean, you get, you get famous enough, you get enough people in one room, and then God is going to show up, he's going to be there. No, if nobody is hungry, he's not there. He's looking for some hungry hippos, straight up. The thing about hungry hippos is that they're already filled, but they're still hungry. Because eating makes you hungry. <laughs> it's the way it goes in the kingdom. It's not starvation that makes you hungry. It's eating makes you hungry. The more you drink from Scripture, the more you drink from God's presence, the more you pour out even to others, the more it makes it, that stomach growl. And it makes us anticipate with hope every moment of his manifestation of his miracles and of his presence. Every moment contains that possibility. People on the margins live on the margins of their own strength, so they are very aware of their weaknesses. But when we don't live in that place and we don't live among the people, we are not aware of our weaknesses at all. And Jesus is like, cool, you got it, man. You got it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, for they will be filled. And we will always honor the people to whom honor is due. But Jesus is definitely really into honoring. The pe they're not, people are on a, those kids on a border are not just like, they're actually marginalized. They're on the margin of our country, and they're a marginal group. Like, this is where Jesus is. He's like walking amongst them. He's like hanging out. This is where he is being embodied in those moments. But it's hard for us to think that popularity is, Jesus was not, he was popular. People were around him, but they weren't around him. They weren't encountering him. He doesn't follow popularity. He follows hunger. He followed those who have fed themselves on his promises and understanding that he is going to show up. So Jesus is on the way. He goes, finds Jairus' daughter. He takes his homies with him, his little group. You know what I'm saying? Like, of course, there's a lesson in that. I'll get to that later. You got to know the people that keep your fire burning that keep you walking in boldness, that keep you believing amazing things are going to happen, because even Jesus couldn't press past that environment. But above all, we have to be hungry. There's a song that I love, old song. It's, 
It's as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone does my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship. Only Jesus will fill that desire that we have. So here are a couple of ways to cultivate hunger in your life. Glean from this story. You must confront your shame and self-judgment. I think God doesn't have any more judgment for us. That means a lot of the judging is ourselves, judging ourselves. And tell the truth about where you are. She told her whole story. It was me. I did it. Let me tell you your whole story. Whatever we can't, we can't be healed of what we don't admit to ourselves. Jesus can heal whatever we locate. Confront your need for popularity and acceptance. I think we all have some of this. By rejecting competition and comparison. I think that speaks for itself. You can go to the next one. Confront your impatience. Being hungry makes your impatience fall because you're content to feed yourself on what God is doing and not what he ain't. Because there are plenty of things that we can talk about God isn't doing, but what is he doing? Practice being overly present and aware of his presence. Jesus was like, he was in the moment, man, to feel that. He was very present. So many distractions we have, things can feel chaotic. It's hard to know who's touching us, when touching us, especially for the moms out there. It's like, you know, kids just all over you and climbing on you. Jesus was overly present and never give up and believe. I know that it's hard to just say just believe, but be okay with groping around in the dark, feeling around people's ankles, you know what I'm saying? Because know that that's what faith is. If you're expecting to start when everything is illuminated and perfectly, it's not going to happen, sorry. <laughs> it's always going to be us feeling around in the dark. And the lastly is the honest assessment of your friends that fill you with faith and boldness. Jesus sent his, he took his friends with him and sent the family out of the room and he told her, Arise, and he calls the woman with the issue of blood, he calls her daughter and restores her into the family of God in front of everybody. Why? Because Jesus 
was using his honor in that society to remove her shame. This is a relationship that we have with people who are marginalized around us, with those that may be in a lower rung of society that are bearing more shame than we have. Our honor begins to remove that. Little girl, I say to you, get up. And he says, what? Give her something to eat. Why? Because she was hungry. You guys want to stand up? I just want to take a moment, if you would find uh, maybe one other, three people gathering groups of three, I just want to have us pray for each other. I know it's probably strange to do that, but uh, um, so go ahead, get in groups of three, and we're just going to pray for each other for a little bit. Um, We're going to pray through the stage of awkwardness, just that God would infuse us with a new hunger for him. So I'm going to pray first, and then you can just pray out loud, as loud as you would like to. Um, The point is for you to be marked and to remember this moment um, as a moment of pressing in through a crowd, through all the shame and expectations and wanting to pursue other things for the true lover of your soul from which whose fountain we have the opportunity to drink from daily. Father, I just pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, God, and ask that you would um, cultivate in us a a new hunger, that you would cultivate in us a, um, a new desire, a burning desire to be near you and to be in your presence. So as we pray now for a couple of minutes, God, I ask that you would put a seed, just as the seed in the sower that, that our hungry hearts would receive a seed on good soil, that our hungry hearts would go up to meet the seed of your promise, that you would be with us even until the ends of the earth. And I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name.